You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. If it's another six months before oil is at 40, can these companies survive? So that means looking at the balance sheets, obviously. That's the critical thing. With an emphasis more on the producers and the sellers, rather than on the explorers and the, you know, service companies, the drillers and so on. I'm Bill Powers and this is Mining Stock Education. Thank you for tuning in. Well, on today's show, we are going to be getting a perspective on the economy, the market markets and the mining sector from resource fund manager and money manager, Adrian Day of adriandayassetmanagement.com. Adrian, thank you for joining me again. And as you look over the opportunities that are out there uh, right now after this extremely fast paced and volatile month that we've had, where are you finding the greatest value? And in particular, before we talk about the mining sector, where are you finding the greatest value and opportunities outside of the mining sector? Okay, well, uh, good day, uh, Bill. Thank you very much for having me. And I'm glad to hear we were talking before. I'm glad to hear that everything's uh, you're well and safe. Uh, of course, your question begs a question that I assume there's buying opportunities in the mining sector. Um, but perhaps you, you know me well enough to know that I do. And we'll get to that. So outside of the mining sector, you know, I think it's very uh, opportunistic at this point. So let me just stand back and tell you what I'm thinking about the broad markets. I... I think there's a, there's a high probability, not a certainty, but a high probability that we will at least see the uh, market lows again, if not see lower lows. But I certainly don't think that, let's say Thursday, after Thursday's closing prices, I certainly don't think Thursday's closing prices are the lows and we're not going to be seeing you know, lower prices in markets and sectors and perhaps in the whole broad market. Um, so I, I hope I explain that properly. Now, given that, and also given the fact that the markets are extremely volatile at the moment, not just the entire market, but individual sectors and individual companies, and we only had to look at, you know, the oil stocks on, on Thursday to know what I'm talking about, then I think we have to be extremely patient and extremely disciplined, simply waiting for really good opportunities. This is a different environment than what I'll call normal, where the stocks are expensive or, or undervalued. But normally I can look at something and if I see it at $8 and think it's a great price, do my homework and by the time I finish my homework, it's eight fifty. it's probably still a great buy. Uh, right now, what's good at 8 may not be good at eight fifty because the markets are so volatile. So to answer your question, that's a, to answer your question, I don't see right now any broad sector or market, but I would say to you and your listeners, this is great value. This is a great buying opportunity. I truly think it's a matter of 
we've, we've drawn up a long list of stocks of companies that we want to buy. It's a matter of opportunistic buying. And I can only look backwards, but a good example was the oil stocks. And, you know, some of the senior oil stocks were selling at, you know, 20-year low prices last week. Um, you look at a company, um, well, I, I'm not supposed to talk about specific stocks and uh, the SEC doesn't like that. But you, you, look, at, you look at certain company, big oil companies, um, some of the largest companies in the world that are literally selling last week at 20-year lows in prices. You have a good quality company like Royal Dutch that last week had a fifth percent dividend yield with a dividend that is probably reasonably secure. So it, and, and all of this is moot now because of the oil agreement, but I'm just trying to, I'm trying to explain that you just have to sit there watching and waiting. So that was a good, the oil stocks were a good opportunity last week. The other good opportunity we had a couple of weeks ago was the business development companies. You know, these are companies in the U.S. that lend money to small businesses. And when this, um, you know, when the shutdown started, then there's a rational response that small business is going to be very hurt by that, which is true. And so the BDC, the business development companies, sold off. And they were some of the worst, as a sector, they were one of the worst performing subsectors in the entire market with some of the stocks down 60% in a week. Um, I thought that was overdone and it was overdone for many reasons. But if you look at some of the better BDCs, they have leverage of less than two to one. The earnings, the um, uh, dividends are fully covered by net operating income. But here's the kicker. Um, a lot of these companies like Aries, which is the largest, has over a year's worth of dividends in reserve, in cash, on its balance sheet, in reserve, which it hasn't distributed yet. Gladstone Capital has almost two years, uh, which it hasn't distributed yet. So these companies can withstand a temporary uh, shortfall in income and still pay their dividend, right? But if you look at a company like Aries, after the big drop, it was yielding over 15%. Gladstone, which I mentioned, was yielding over 18%. So do we really think that half of the companies in that portfolio are going to default? Not just have temporary difficulties, but they're just going to default. Because if half of the businesses defaulted, uh, Gladstone at 18 would still be paying a 6 or 7% dividend yield because of the leverage, right? It's, it's less. And so you work through some of these things, and, and, you, and we could talk more about that if you wanted, but you work through some of these things and you see the market just grossly overreacted. And so that's what we're looking for. And I don't know where, I don't know where the next opportunity will be uh, because both of the sectors that I just mentioned have shot up since their lows. But you just need to be sitting there waiting and be patient. And if you want to buy it at eight, don't pay nine. On the note of small business loans, there was an article, I, a headline I caught, so I didn't actually read the article, but I believe it was J.P. Morgan Chase. It could be another bank, but I think it was J.P. Morgan Chase that said they're not giving out small business loans 
unless the government backs the loans. And even as just from an anecdotal level, I've talked to several of my friends who are small businesses, and there's a lot of pessimism and uncertainty out there. And as I drive a couple times a week here in Michigan, there's nobody on the roads, all the restaurants are closed, and I just look at all the shut doors and the lights off, and I'm saying to myself, what are the ramifications of this for the rest of the year and even beyond? Because I think a lot of these small businesses aren't even going to open up again. So that kind of leads me to my next question. What do you think are the economic ramifications? Did this just ensure an economic depression or contraction over these next few years? Well, let me just first of all say I 100% I completely agree with what, what you just said. Small businesses are really going to be hurt. A lot of them don't have cash cushions. And, you know, being closed for a month or two months, um, even if they reopen as they were before, uh, it's, it's, you know, they're, they're in, a lot of them are in difficulty. The key to the business development, come, and, and one of the problems for small businesses, which you hit on with your comment from, you think, Morgan Chase, one of the, one of the uh, uh, factors for small businesses is the difficulty of access to capital for small business. And I'm not going to get into this new, you know, these new government handout programs. I call them handout deliberately because, frankly, the terms and conditions that they impose are ridiculous. So we qualify and that business hasn't been affected. And that, that's idiotic. Anyway, but, but the key to these businesses is they're not typically Aries, Gladstone, the other, the other um, small uh, uh, BDCs are typically lending not so much to restaurants, uh, but they're lending more to widget manufacturers and so on. So they're lending to companies whose products will still be required when the economy opens up again. And companies like, as I mentioned, like Aries, which has huge access to capital itself, because Aries Capital, the BDC, is a subsidiary or a unit of Aries Management, which is one of the largest private equity firms in the world, and they have huge amounts of, of capital that they can employ or deploy to help the companies in their portfolios get by what we hope for them is a temporary, temporary, um, uh, a temporary problem. But absolutely agree with you. I mean, the lockdowns, um, and I'm not going. I'm not a public health expert, so I'm not going to get into into that. Um, but the lockdowns are certainly going to have um, very, very damaging consequences on the economy because, as you say, and the longer it goes on, and the slower we are to restart, then the longer and shallower the recovery will take. And, and those are perhaps obvious things, but I think it's worth pondering for a second. When this first happened, a lot of people were saying, oh, yeah, this is going to be a V-shape because, okay, we shut down, that's going to hurt us, but as soon as we open up, everything's back to normal. And clearly it's not going to be that way. Already uh, the Trump administration is sort of... Um, uh, President Trump himself hasn't said it, but, you know, the way it works, the aides are whispering to uh, the reporters that we're not going to open by the end of May. So we're already looking at June. And how do we reopen? You know, do we allow restaurants and do we allow restaurants to just open and fill with customers? Probably not. There's going to be restrictions, probably time restrictions on when restaurants can be open 
Well, I'm not quite sure what difference time makes, frankly. I think the later they stay open, the more you spread the custom, uh, you know, out. But anyway, but there's going to be restrictions on, on, on how many people can be in a restaurant at one time, et cetera, et cetera. It's going to be a slow restart, I think. And the ramifications, too, they've, they've basically trained all of society, all of the nation now to act in a different way in society. And I just don't see people rushing out to the restaurants. I know some people differ. I've talked to some friends where they think that people will want to rush back out and go to Disney World or go on a cruise and, you know, reward themselves because they've been cooped up. I'm of the perspective that I think people are going to be really tight with their wallets and be less likely to frequent these places. Uh, what, what do you think here? Well, yeah, I, I think the longer it goes on and the more staggered the restart, then the more restrained people will be. First, first of all, you'll have a lot of a lot of restraint on spending just because a lot of people have been without a paycheck for X number of weeks. And uh, even if you're stuck indoors all day long, you still have to spend some money, right? People who didn't pay their rent now have two months' rent to pay, et cetera, et cetera. So I think, I think, I think there's going to be a restraint on spending um, and durable goods and things like that are going to be put off. Where things can be put off, they'll be put off. That's number one. But the psychological thing you mentioned... Again, the more staggered the response, I think the more restrained will be the attitude of most people. I mean, it's not like a war. You know, VE Day, uh, 1945, you know, the war's over and everybody can start living again. It's not like that. Mm-hmm. I think young people will probably, I mean, I can imagine a lot of young people wanting to go out to the bars and you know, they'll be pretty full pretty quickly. I think older people, uh, maybe families, will not be wanting to go to Disney World for a little while. Yeah, I agree with you there. Adrian, when these uh, big businesses, the Boeings of the world, are in so much trouble and they're looking for bailouts, there are some people that say, yes, they have to be bailed out because our economy, our national defense, all these jobs are at stake. And then the other side of the story says, no, let capitalism be capitalism. If they fall, things will shift around and something good will come out of it outside the other end. And so I've been vacillating in my own mind and talking with some friends who are believe in Austrian economics. And one friend said, you know, our legal system, he doesn't think, can handle the fallout of too many businesses crashing all at one time because of this, you know, the forced everybody stay at home of what we're dealing with here. It's a complex situation, but what would you like to see here? Well, you know, I would certainly like to see uh, a free market operate to the, you know, to the greatest extent possible, frankly. Um, I mean, I, I don't want to sound hard. There are some businesses where, you know, businesses had cash reserves and it strikes me that, you know, the best and the strongest will survive and some would not survive through no fault of their own, but they would not survive. But remember when businesses um, don't, when businesses go bankrupt or collapse, the assets don't necessarily go away. Someone else comes in and buys them and, um, you know, we've always had that sort of process. There's no question that these are extraordinary times because the, you know, the loss of business has been caused by government mandate. 
Mm-hmm. So it's not it's not the business's fault by any means. If a restaurant, you know, take the restaurant, it's not their fault. They don't have customers, and that could not be foreseen by any rational by any rational um, actor player. But um, I don't know. Those are huge questions, Bill. And uh, you know, I I don't know. They're very interesting, but I'm not sure where they get us on the investment side. Well, when it comes to investments, you mentioned oil, and I was shocked uh, this last week when I was somewhere here in Michigan, and I looked up, and gas was under a dollar per gallon, and I hadn't seen that. Wow, you are kidding me. I'm not kidding. I got a picture of it. In fact, if you're listening on YouTube, I took a picture of it. I'm going to put a picture up right now, (laughs) and it was at at Costco. So with oil, you think uh, oil stocks could be a a buy here for the long side or the short side? What, What do you foresee? Yeah, I'm I'm certainly more bullish than than bearish. I mean, when you again, when you see a price, you, you know, there's these sort of numbers, round numbers. They don't have to be round, but there's these big round numbers. And when, you know, when you saw oil hit twenty dollars um, at the beginning of the month, uh, you know, that 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 said, well, wait a minute, what's going on here? Um, and I certainly, I certainly think oil is more likely to go up than down. Some of the oil stocks remain, you know, incredible, incredibly cheap on a long-term basis. Um, but you have to be very careful picking and choosing because I'm not sure, because oil has two negatives at the moment. One is obviously the, the economy. And so, you know, OPEC can make a, a deal and cut production, but you still need a global economy to recover for people to buy the oil, right? So I am, I'm, I'm much more, I'm much more positive than I am negative, but I still think one needs to be cautious about just rushing in because it could be. It could be some time before we see oil certainly back at forty or fifty dollars, let alone sixty, um, because of the economy. The other thing I would point out, you know, I don't know if, if we're can I say we're recording this on Friday? Sure. Go and ahead. <laughs> you know, all all day long, you know, the news has been going backwards and forwards about you know Mexico says we're not cutting anymore, and Saudi says. Well, Mexico's got to, or, you know, we're out. Um, uh, Here's a headline, global oil deal elusive as Saudis suffer a string of setbacks. The truth, as I read it, the Saudis are more than willing to cut their production if everybody else plays their part. But if too many people start backing away from the deal, Saudi is in the Saudi Arabia is in the strongest position to say, okay, forget about that. We'll just produce as much as we possibly can because we can survive longer than you guys can. And um, oh, here's another headline: President Trump says Mexico will cut their output. Well, I'm glad President Trump speaks for Mexico, but. So, so you see what I'm saying. We don't even yeah. know at this point if this deal is going to go through. Um, I think if OPEC itself, forget about uh, Mexico and some of the other players, if, if OPEC comes to an agreement, it will, it, will, it will be meaningful, even if there are some players not participating. 
Um, but I don't think we're going to get back to 40 or 50, you know, overnight by any means. Having said that, some of the old stocks are remarkably cheap. But the thing you have to look at when you look at the old stocks is if, if it's another six months before oil is at 40, can these companies survive? Mm-hmm. So that means looking at the balance sheets, obviously. That's the critical thing. With an emphasis more on the producers and the sellers, rather than on the explorers and the, you know, service companies, the drillers and so on. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. Osino Resources is a Ross Beattie-backed gold exploration company in mining-friendly Namibia. Osino's district-scale land package is situated near two producing gold mines, one of which Osino's management team previously developed and sold to B2 Gold. Osino's founders and management are experienced mining professionals who have already successfully developed and sold two companies in the past seven years. Osino has a tight share structure, and with its current treasury, it can self-fund the advancement of its gold discovery into at least 20 2022. This is an exploration company with drills turning that you'll definitely want to pay attention to. Osino trades in New York under the ticker O-S-I-I-F and in Toronto under the ticker O-S-I. To learn more, go to OsinoResources.com. That's OsinoResources.com. With the economic situation that we find ourselves in, Adrian, has your outlook for base metals changed or has it been pushed back a couple of years, perhaps? Yeah, pushback would be, the, I don't know about a couple of years, but pushback would be the way I would look at it. I mean, I'm, I'm still very bullish on, on things like copper, where we have a supply shortage coming within a few years. And if it's pushed back, you know, from three years to five years, the story doesn't change. Um, but yes, I think right now, to me, gold, number one, and silver are, uh, are, what you, are, are the two metals with the best risk-reward for, let's say, the next 12 months. And that's because of the monetary situation, not because of what happens to the global economy. But, but, you know, we're, we're suddenly accumulating copper stocks. Again, some of them got to just, you know, ridiculous levels. And again, you know, you look at these things and you just say, I mean, my gosh, Freeport's gone from $13 to $5. Um, could it go to $3? Well, sure, it could. But um, just on a very simplistic basis is is. Is, is that enough of a decline for Freeport to sort of be attractive again? It holds some of the best copper assets in the world. Um, we are going to need copper, as I've said many times, there's a shortage three to five years out. You can, you can predict that because copper mines take a long time from the, from the go decision before they actually start producing. So again, as I've said many times, you can look five years out and you can say with almost certainty that nothing will be producing in five years that we don't already know about, mm-hmm. right? There might be some things producing that we didn't expect to be producing, but there'll be nothing that we don't already know about producing significant amounts of copper in five years. So, you know, these firms, they're, as you know, these, these, these firms that, you know, come up but survey every single mine out there, every single company out there, and, and look at what is likely to be producing in five years' time. And there's shortage. It's, it's that simple. 
Adrian, you like the royalty companies, as everybody who follows you is well aware. And if you only had one royalty company to choose yeah. right now after the sell-off, valuation-wise, what would be your personal favorite? Understanding it's not financial advice, but uh, for yourself, <laughs> what would you choose? Well, again, there's two parts to that, or that's a two-part question. If if I could only buy one royalty company, it would be Franklin Nevada without a shadow of a doubt. Okay. Um, now, because of the balance sheet, because of the management, because of the diversity of assets, you know, they've got almost 40 producing assets. They've got about 350 uh, in their pipeline, some of which will never come into production, but, but, but still 40 producing assets. Um, on a valuation basis, that is probably not the best one. Um, that's probably not the one that is the cheapest right now. Um, frankly, we've been buying them all. I mean, we've been buying Franco and Wheaton and Cisco and Sandstorm and Metalla. All of those companies at some point over the last month or six weeks became screaming buys. I mean, even Franklin Nevada, as you probably know, it dropped. It dropped to what eighty-five dollars, um, and it's now up at one hundred and thirteen. I'm not saying I paid. I've got to say this for the SECs, uh, in case they're listening. I'm not saying I bought it at eighty-five, and we made twenty percent in in a month. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying all of these companies hit very, very good buying levels. I'll tell you what I'm looking at that some of your readers, some of your listeners, may want to look at is two new royalty companies um, that are going to come, that are going to start trading probably within a month, six weeks. One is a company called Nomad, which is going to be run by um, uh, two former Cisco Gold Royalties employees uh, who left, one of whom was in charge of um, sourcing of Cisco Royalties. So that's a new one coming out, and they just bought a packet. They bought two packages of royalties: a from uh, one from Yamana and one from Orion, you know, the private equity firm. So they're going to launch with um, a diverse package of producing royalties. And I can't tell you now, of course, whether it's going to be good value when it comes out. We'll just, but that's one to watch. And the other one to watch is one from London called Elemental Royalties. They've got five producing royalties right now uh, in uh, geographically diversified and um, in the gold space by, Adrian in gold yeah they're over 90 percent gold and Orion, um, Orion Nomad is going to be primarily gold as well yeah I mean both of these are going to be are, are going to focus on gold sometimes you buy a package and something else comes along with it but they're both gold royalties yeah and both of those are ones that I would I would um, I would keep an eye on for when they come public. Both run by very very good people. Adrian, as we wrap it up, uh, any feedback from your clients that you could share with us to kind of let us know uh, what your business is like and what feedback have you been getting on the ground? Yeah, I mean, overwhelmingly, people are very very cautious on global markets. They don't think we've seen the end, um, but but overwhelmingly, people are wanting you know, either get into gold or increase the gold or switch over to gold. Yeah, gold is definitely what people are looking at. 
And frankly, I think that's right with what's happening in the monetary situation. I think that's absolutely right. You've been listening to Adrian Day of adriandayassetmanagement.com. If you'd like to get in touch with Adrian, just go to his website, adriandayassetmanagement.com, and there is a contact tab right there, and you can reach out to Adrian. Adrian, I always appreciate your insights and learn a lot from you. Thank you for coming on the show today. Well, thank you very much for having me. I, I enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10 for 1 returns as there is in small cap and micro cap mining stocks concomitant with that if you don't do the work or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too i just started to study up on mining stocks and i just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really you could do really really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident. And just do your work as best you can. Do your very best. But don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited. And they just spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, pouring through financial documents. But it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on MiningStockEducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.